0: covers, legal action and Elvis race suits. This week I'm talking all about the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and yep, this week we are covering the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix inaugural for this circuit but not for Las Vegas itself because F1 has visited Vegas before. It is 9am on a Sunday. I woke up at 5 to start watching pre-race coverage. I had breakfast, we finished the race and I've just sat down to record but I am so so tired because I'm running on about four and a half hours of sleep right now but I feel like there is a lot to cover about Vegas. There has been so much build-up to the Las Vegas Grand Prix. It has been insane. There's been so, so much PR about it, so many articles, both good and bad, so many comments about it. I've made a lot of comments and had a lot of thoughts on it. And we finally gotten there. We finally had the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So I'm gonna start with just a quick roundup of what happened during practice quality and the race, and then we'll go into really what happened with all of the fans and what happened with the teams themselves as well. So let's just dive right into it. Because I don't think once again before this race weekend there was really any news to go over. We are getting to the end of the season so there's not a whole lot going on right now. Silly season's basically being sorted out and we're just waiting on Logan's seat. So nothing going on in the news for Formula 1 at this point. I did end up catching up on the opening ceremony for the Vegas GP on YouTube. Can't say it was super exciting or super well. I did think we were going to hear more from the drivers, and we didn't hear from them at all, which I thought was a little bit strange for an opening ceremony from what they showed on YouTube. And obviously, I don't know if that was the full feed. We didn't hear from Stefano Domenicali either, who's the CEO of F1, didn't hear from the FIA, didn't really hear from anyone. It was a lot of music, which I get they wanted it to be a sort of concert, but surprised that we didn't really hear from anyone. Going into practice though now normally when I talk about practice on this podcast there's not a whole lot to say because practice is usually quite quiet. Teams are just trying to get through all of the runs that they want to do and get through the data and that's it really but free practice one on Friday morning which I did not wake up for. I caught up on it later. I'm really thankful I did not wake up for it. I can't lie because eight minutes into free practice one Carlos signs ends up having to stop on track. And initially, when we just saw his onboard and we saw him stopping, it sounded like he had either run over something or something may have broken on his car. We later found out it was actually concrete that had come off of a drink cover and punctured his car. Punctured the floor of his car, that is. His dashboard on his steering wheel lit up saying so to turn the car off, turn the engine off. So the FAA had waved a red flag to get all the cars back in while they recovered Carlos's car, and then we found out the FP1 was not going to be resumed and essentially what had actually happened was that the concrete had come off around one of the manhole covers that Carlos had gone over and that ended up puncturing the floor of his car and a few other pieces on his car and he wasn't the only driver to have that happen to. Esteban Orgon also ended up having his car damaged because of the exact same issue but he had managed to get back into the pits. So the FIA ended up having to put a complete stop to FP1 because they needed to check all 30 manhole covers to ensure that it was safe for the drivers to go back on track so nothing like that would happen again. That was 30 manhole covers that they were checking and they ended up filling them with quick-drying concrete so you just got rid of the drain cover altogether and just put concrete over it so it wouldn't cause an issue so there was nothing that could actually lift up from the ground. That was not going to matter for Carlos Sainz or Estetan Ocon, though, who did have quite bad damage to their cars. Both of them needed to get their survival cells replaced. And for Carlos, he also needed a new ICE, a new energy store and a new control electronics. And I think it was the control electronics for Carlos that meant he was also going to be having a 10 place grid penalty you could tell that frederick basso was not happy with this they played the entirety of the team principals press conference while we were waiting for fp2 which was delayed by two hours and he was not a happy man which is understandable it had wrecked everyone's free practice Carlos, which I think the main thing is here, Carlos could have gotten really badly injured. Thankfully he wasn't. He did say he had a bit of back pain. I think he mentioned he also lost a little bit of feeling in his legs for a short time. And there was also extensive damage to the Ferrari. So you can completely understand why Fred was not happy with that. And like I said we will go into some of the drama that really surrounded that in a little bit. I'm just doing a quick whistle stop tour of everything that really happened over the weekend before we go and dissect it. Going into Free Practice 2, thankfully both Carlos and Esteban were able to go out and take part in FP2. They did need to get their chassis changed and obviously with Carlos there were a few other bits that needed to get replaced for him but We had a major delay to the start time that I think helped both of the mechanics in both teams really get everything sorted out on those cars. But a really phenomenal effort from the Ferrari mechanics and the Alpine mechanics. But yeah, free practice was meant to start, 8am UK time. And because the FIA were checking all of the manhole covers, filling them all with quick drying concrete, we didn't start until half past 10. However we did have the fans being sent home before fp2 even started so for fans that only had a ticket on a friday they got to watch 10 minutes of fp1 and that was it that was literally all they got to see more on that later but fp2 in general i mean thankfully was quieter We did have a couple of people going off the track during our early runs, which isn't surprising. It's a new track, low grip, low temperature. That was to be expected, but nothing major. Nobody getting into any sort of scuffles with the walls or with other drivers, really. So everyone seemed to be okay. Although Lando did have a limp home mode on his car and then was told to box to get that sorted out. Not the best start for him, though, because he was in the garage for a little bit while that got sorted Oscar Piastri also was in the garage for a little while during that FP2 session. So there were obviously some issues that McLaren were facing that they needed to get sorted out. And yeah, not having that running in FP1 meant that they couldn't pick up on those issues then and they could only pick up on them in FP2. Going into Friday then for FP3... Was actually a fairly quiet session. The drivers had gotten used to all of the track at that point, but we did end FP3 with Alex Alburn hitting a wall and his tyre coming off. He ended up stopping on track because he couldn't make it to the pit lane. So it did end up meaning that we had a red flag at the end of the session. I mean, right at the end. FP3 had managed to run normally up until that point. I think the only thing that the drivers didn't get were the practice starts on the grid. But Lance Stroll did end up getting a five-place grid penalty at the end of FP3 for overtaking Carlos Sainz under double-waved yellow flags. And now for a quick little stop tour of what went on in Quali. So Q1, the main thing that I think was the biggest surprise for me was the fact that we saw both McLarens getting knocked out. I really was not expecting that. I know sometimes drivers can just have a bit of an off day and they might get knocked out, but to see both of the McLarens out, a little bit concerning, I don't know whether tyre prep was an issue. I know Lando in one of his interviews was saying maybe putting on a new set of softs would have helped, but who knows. But that was quite surprising given the pace that they've had recently. I know Lando was also saying that, yeah, they weren't expecting this to be their strongest circuit, but I don't think he was expecting them to get knocked out in Q1. Q2, biggest surprises are when Lewis and Checo being knocked out. Lewis ended up saying that he just wasn't able to get a quicker lap time in, he had made tweaks to the car overnight, was hoping that it'd be more suited for the race, but obviously it had taken some of his quality pace away. And for Sergio Perez, I mean, this wasn't his fault. I know he has had some very bad qualifying sessions this year, this was not one of them, the team just didn't stick him out again to put in a quicker lap time and... I'm not entirely sure why. I think they were hoping to save a set of tyres. But yeah, I was really surprised because he wasn't in a safe zone. He was one below Lewis Hamilton, who obviously got knocked out anyway. But he was nowhere near safe and the Vegas track was just getting quicker and quicker the more the cars were out there so the fact that he had set his lap time early on it wasn't going to be good enough because people were going to be able to get the quicker lap times in so I definitely think Red Bull were more to blame for that one than it was Sergio Perez because he couldn't really do anything in the garage. Q3 we only had two teams have both of their drivers into Q3 and they were Ferrari which wasn't a surprise they were doing very well on track And the other team were Williams, and this was amazing for me. I have been rooting for Williams so much this year. And for them to have the quality that they did was just phenomenal. Logan Sargent ended up qualifying in sixth after Carlos's penalty. Alex Albon qualified in P5 after the penalty. I think the thing is with Alex Albon, we know that he is capable of these performances. But with Logan, this year has been a struggle for him. So seeing him being able to get into Q3, qualify so well, not far off his teammate at all, was really, really exciting to see. Charles Leclerc, however, did end up taking pole position. Ferrari did say they were going to be very strong at Vegas. They thought this was a track that was very suited for them. Max Verstappen was in P2 and after penalties were applied, George Russell took p looking at the race then on Sunday or Saturday night for those in Vegas turn one lap one we just had multiple cars going off the tires were cold there was no real grip I think they were all just hoping for the best and getting through that corner but Fernando Alonso had a little bit of a spin and got some damage Sergio Perez had his front wing damaged Valtteri Bordas had spun but managed to carry on going and even though we had all of those spins we didn't actually have any DNFs. Nobody went into any wars and nobody really went into anyone else to cause a substantial amount of damage that they couldn't carry on running. But we did get a couple of early pit stops because of that though. So Fernando Alonso, Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz. I think Valtteri Bordas went in early as well and there might have been one or two others, but no DNFs. We also had Max and Charles being investigated. Well, Max being investigated for coming off track, gaining an advantage and then not giving the place back to Charles Leclerc and he later got given a five second time penalty because of that. But because of the debris that was on track after all the spins, we did have a virtual safety car come out while all the track stewards just picked up the debris that was on the floor. By the time the VSC ended, and it wasn't long, I think it was lap three, Lando Norris, when we got back to racing, ended up crashing quite badly, scraped into the wall, went into a barrier further on and had to DNF from the race. And that caused our first safety car of the race to come out while well, they got Lando out of the car and to the medical centre and then got the car off the track and made sure all the debris was sweeped up. That didn't feel like it lasted ages either though and then by the time we got back to racing we had Ferrari telling Carlos he needed to cool down the car or the car was at risk of needing to be stopped. Lewis and Oscar ended up having a racing incident, had banged wheels together. Oscar went into pit pretty much straight away. Lewis thought he was okay, but ended up having a puncture. But by that point, he was past the pit entry line and had to go on a slow lap around the track with a puncture before he was able to pit again. So that wasn't great for either of their races because they'd started through the back. They'd started at a place and had both made very good gains, and obviously that contact had dropped them down more than what they were hoping to. And I think what made it worse is that both of those drivers were also on hard tyres, and this happened quite early on in the race. I think it was before we got to lap 20, so those tyres should have been able to stay on for a very long time, and they had to be pulled in for early pit stops because of that issue. Now, around lap 25, George and Max ended up having contact with Max's front wing end plate coming off. Safety car came out on lap 26 to clear up that debris again, and George Russell got given a five-second time penalty for causing a collision. And the other key points of the race, and I think there were only two after that really, were Nico Hülkenberg retiring on lap 47, Yuki Tsunoda retiring on lap 49. And altogether in this race, we had one virtual safety car, two safety cars, two penalties, and three DNX which for 50 laps, I feel like that is quite a lot going on. So that was an interesting one. The racing, let me just say, in Vegas was actually way better than what I thought it was going to be. We actually saw some really good overtaking and a good couple of battles on this racetrack. The battle at the front actually got quite interesting at times. It's been a little while, I think, since we've had a really good battle right at the front. We had Charles Max. And Checo Perez all battling for the lead at some point or another. We had massive moves from people further down the grid. So we had Lance Stroll who was starting way, way back at the grid next to Van Ocon. Making massive gains and pushing themselves up into the points. DRS trains, I don't actually think were a massive issue here. We did have one or two at certain points, but not in the way it got boring. And we still had drivers managing to overtake even when they were in them, which was good. And the field just felt a little bit closer this weekend. Now, I couldn't see all of the gaps because the F1 app was not working, which did bug me, I can't lie. I love having all of the information and the data there. But yeah, I wasn't able to see all of the gaps properly. And I was also very, very tired watching this race. In all honesty, I'm having to take multiple breaks just to yawn. I'm on my second cup of tea and I cannot wake up. So there is probably going to be a nap after this. But yeah, it just felt like a closer race in general, I think, which was nice to see. It was good to see some of the battles on track. Yes, we did have Max Verstappen win the race, but it wasn't that straightforward for him this time. It wasn't by a massive margin. It was just over two seconds he won by. And then we had Leclerc and Perez on the podium. And then finishing off the points were Esteban Ocon, Lance Stroll, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell, who did have a five second time penalty applied at the end of the race. Fernando Alonso, and then bringing up right at the bottom of the points is Oscar Piastri, who also got a point for the fastest lap. So yes, I think Vegas on a race day did actually surpass what I thought was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to be that interesting. I didn't think we'd get a whole load of overtaking. And I didn't think the cars would be able to cope as well on the track as they did given the temperatures. But I was pleasantly surprised. It did exceed my expectations there. However, we cannot let Sunday detract from the fact that there were major issues over this weekend. And we are going to chat about them now. And I know there have been people in and outside of F1 who said, look, no one's going to care what happened during practice or what happened yesterday because all we're going to care about is the race. But I don't think that's the case personally. I think for a lot of us fans who watch F1 and who watch practice and enjoy watching the entire race weekend, those aren't necessarily things that we are going to forget. So let's dive into some of the controversies, let's call them, about the Las Vegas Grand Prix during this race weekend because there were couple of controversies outside of the race weekend and the build up to this in terms of how much construction was going on about Las Vegas and I have done a TikTok video on that so if you're interested in watching those kind of TikToks then head over at stewards office for that but I'm just going to talk about the stuff that cropped up on race weekend. So yeah the first thing was obviously the concrete coming off of the track and puncturing two cars could have been highly highly dangerous if it had actually hit the drivers considering how much force that would have been sucked up with and I am beyond grateful that both of those drivers are okay and they are fine and I know damage to the car is not great I know it will be expensive for both of those teams however we cannot put a price on human life so I am really glad that both Esteban Ocon and Carlos Sainz are okay now, yes, we have seen drain covers come up in other Grand Prix. That's not a new phenomenon that we've seen in F1. That doesn't bother me particularly because we've seen it happen, right? They've driven over them, and the FIA and sort of the track users have had to just come onto the track, refit them, and drill them into place properly to make sure they don't come up, and jobs are good and it's done. But this, first of all, was not that simple. This wasn't necessarily the drain cover, this was the concrete encasing around the drain cover now this generation of f1 cars is all about downforce which is sucking up a lot of the air that's under the car and it's sucking that air up with a lot of force and that is what basically pulled out the concrete as well as the drain cover from the floor and then caused it to go through the car so that is the issue there this track was cleared by a high-speed test run according to chris medland around 2 a.m on the thursday night Obviously it wasn't with a Formula 1 car so they couldn't get a good reading on if this was going to happen but yeah it did have a high speed test run and that issue had not cropped up. Was it something that could have been avoided? Yes potentially. I think it is one of those problems they couldn't really see happening until we had an F1 car on there but in that case and this is what I spoke to a couple of people about, the FIA have enough money to build a sort of prototype F1 cars say the same as this generation of F1 cars that they should use to test out new circuits like Las Vegas where you have I don't know, one of the team's reserve drivers or the FIA had their own sort of reserve driver. Like we have the safety car driver and the medical car driver, right? Who just gets in the car and tries out this circuit. Not just about drain covers, but just in general. When we've had issues with things like track limits or Miami in that first year, there were issues with the way some of the barriers were. Looking at race lines for the FIA just to help them out as well. I think it's something that would be really useful for them to do and in going forward, especially if we're looking at racing in new places, if we're looking at having new tracks on the calendar, it could be helpful. And I know that Vegas is a street circuit as well, which does make it more difficult. But the sign off for this track did not happen until way later than it should have been. I think it was the same morning of the practice sessions that it got signed off on. So I think the first thing is that we need to try and get them signed off earlier. And then the second thing is to put that time aside in whatever contract you have with a circuit to be like, look, we are going to use this circuit for half an hour on this day with a prototype F1 car just so we can race over it and make sure that it's safe and ready for the drivers. And that's it, because I think it would have avoided a lot of the issues and there wouldn't have been so much media attention and scrutiny around it because the FAA could have done this very quietly. You've not got the eyes of the world watching you and all these cameras and all the media and your sponsors looking at you wondering what the heck is going on. You've not got your drivers wondering what the heck is going on and fans who have paid to watch Formula One wondering why the heck is the session not being resumed. So yeah, I think that is one way we could potentially solve this problem. Whether it happens or not is something else. I mean, it probably won't. I mean, and then obviously we have Carlos signs penalty, a 10 place grid penalty for replacing a battery. A battery that wasn't going to need to be replaced, probably wouldn't have needed replacing until they would finish the season. So there would have been no need for a new battery. They would just would have finished 2023 with that same one in Abu Dhabi. Jobs are gotten no penalty at the end of the season. This was not his fault. This wasn't Ferrari who had built a bad battery that had just gone wrong. This wasn't Carlos having gotten into a collision that he had caused that had damaged the battery. This was down to the FAA and to the track. And it is not fair, in my opinion, that Carlos Sainz had to suffer for a mistake that the FIA and track management had made. The stewards apparently had looked at the rules for three hours. They'd spent so long deliberating on this penalty because they didn't want to give it to him. They knew that he didn't necessarily deserve that penalty, but they couldn't find anything in the rules not to give him that 10 place grid penalty and the thing is with the stewards that they don't actually have the power to change any of the rules that's not up to them all they are able to do and all that's within their power is to look at the rules and apply them and that is why they spent so long going through the rule book to see if there was something they could do for carlos but they just weren't able to And I wish there was something, some sort of special dispensation that would have allowed Carlos not to take that grid penalty because it really was not his fault. And as expected, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, Frederick Vassar was not a happy man. I don't think any team principal would be in that position. Between him and Carlos, I don't think they really wanted to discuss a whole load with the media beyond their media obligations, which I don't blame them for. But yeah, it was a tough one, and I don't agree with that penalty he got given. But it obviously does not end there with everything that went wrong. Fans being turned away from the grandstands, being kicked out of the circuit before they got to watch FP2. And... I have this thing with free practice sessions because I know some people don't like them. I know some people find them boring, but I think they give a more accessible price point for a lot of people who want to watch Formula One, but can't necessarily afford a three or four day weekend ticket, can't afford race day tickets, can't afford quality tickets. But that Friday session where it's two practices... The price is normally cheaper because there's no actual racing action to go on and for a lot of people it's a more accessible price point and it still might not be great but it is still cheaper than the other tickets and it gives them a chance just to be able to see the cars on track and to be able to cheer on their favourite team or driver. So there will be people in that crowd who didn't have a 3-4 day race ticket, only had that one Friday because it was cheap for them to do and got to see 10 minutes of the cars on track. Now F1 did put out a statement saying that because there was a delay in free practice and that it wasn't going to be starting until 2.30 track time and really FP2 should have finished at 1am track time it was going to create risks for the fans and the employees they had to think about public safety and security officials who had been there for a very long time they were concerned about transportation, driving the fans back to the hotel There was federal law in play, they were bumping up against the amount of time they can legally and safely drive buses, is what the statement said, and they were like, yeah, our hospitality staff as well need to be able to clean everything out, resupply all the guest areas to make sure that everything's okay for the next day. And then they said, we have all been to events like concerts, games, and even other F1 races that have been cancelled because of factors like weather or technical issues. It happens, and we hope people will understand. It happens is not a great phrase to use, in my opinion. And then there is also the fact that there was no apology written in this statement given out. They never said that they apologized to the fans that they weren't able to watch the on-track action. And that's literally all they had to say, you know, we're sorry that due to circumstances outside of our control, FP2 was delayed and therefore you had to be turned away however we had to deal with federal law and the health and safety of our fans and our workers here and we have a responsibility to you all to keep you all safe. I think that would have gone down a lot better with a lot of people, a lot of fans and a lot of people who are involved in Formula One who are also unhappy that the fans didn't get an apology. This did not cut it for a lot of people and I think yeah, just being able to turn around and say sorry would have gone a very long way. It wouldn't have made up for missing two hours of on-track action that they should have been given on Friday. But had I been a fan in Vegas and I would only had tickets to Friday, then yeah, at least a sorry would have felt like a start, right? And they didn't get that. And in a way, to add insult to injury, the Las Vegas GP had offered all of those Friday pass holders or Thursday in Las Vegas time, a $200 voucher, not a refund on their money, a $200 voucher to spend at the Las Vegas Grand Prix shop to say thank you for your support. So they're not getting their money back. They're not even getting part of their money back. They get to go and buy merchandise for a GP that they watched 10 minutes of. And they didn't even get to watch the GP. They watched 10 minutes of a practice session and they can go and buy merchandise for that once again if I was someone that was a single day pass holder at the Las Vegas GP and I got to watch 10 minutes of a practice session I would much much prefer them to give me the $200 in cash than in a voucher for the F1 store because I probably would not have spent it. So I think it was a bit of a kick in the teeth for them and I know there were commentators like Danica Patrick saying, yeah, but people come to Vegas for Vegas. Maybe it'll entice them to buy a three-day ticket instead of just the one day next year. But I think there are people who come to Vegas, especially this weekend, to watch Formula One. There are people who might not be into casinos, might not be into nightlife, but they really wanted to watch Formula One out there. They really wanted to watch those practice sessions because it was the only ticket they could get. So when you might have flown out or travelled in or driven in for this and you've seen nothing, you might not really care about everything else going on in Vegas. And for some people, three-day tickets are way too expensive. It's not affordable. It's not going to entice them to want to go. If anything, I think this might turn those fans away from wanting to come again because they've had a bad experience there. I can't see them or I can't see many of them turning around and saying, yeah, because I missed FP1, But the rest of the race went on. I'll buy a three-day ticket next time. I don't know how many people will have that line of thinking. I think I am just gutted for those fans more than anything. And it does make you just feel a little disappointed. Not just a little, a lot disappointed Formula One tickets are expensive in general. Las Vegas especially had very, very expensive tickets. Cheapest grandstand tickets, I think, were 1500 And I think then the cheapest general admission, which are normally like the stand-in sort of, tickets were $500. That's not a small amount of money. And given the state the world is in anyway, there's a cost-of-living crisis in the UK and just around the world, you know, financially people are not doing well. It is a lot of money to spend. So, yeah, I can't imagine what it must have felt like for those fans to have sat there, only got 10 minutes of free practice When, which you think, OK, you know what? Things do happen. You know, accidents happen on track. Carlos couldn't help what happened to him. Fair enough. But then you're sitting and waiting and you think, OK, FP2 is going to happen, though. So at least see some on-track action. And I had called it when we saw that red flag and the fact that the session wasn't going to be resumed, that we probably would have an extended FP2 session to make up for that time loss. So you at least get a 90-minute session in FP2 to watch. And you get told that you can't watch any of it and you have to leave. understand that it was for safety and there were certain rules and laws that F1 had to abide by. But I think the voucher and the way it was handled probably wasn't in the best way. But that wasn't the end of it because we then found out that there was a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit that was being filed against the Vegas GP in relation to the fans that had been turned away before FP2 had started and been told to leave the circuit. The lawsuit alleges breach of contract, negligence and deceptive trade practices. I think the statement said, "...we will vindicate the rights of the fans that travelled great distances and paid small fortunes to attend but were deprived of the experience." We will keep up to date with that. I'm not sure what's going to come of it, to be completely honest with you. There are a lot of terms and conditions that are attached to most tickets that you buy for when you go to an event. I feel like this is something that Formula One probably have covered. So we will wait and see what happens there and what happens with that court case or that lawsuit. I mean, I think for the fans who are doing this lawsuit, They probably want a refund on their tickets, which is completely understandable. But whether or not that happens because of the terms and conditions of their tickets, who knows? We will wait and see, though. I can't believe all that happened before we even got into qualifying, though. But yeah, a lawsuit against the Las Vegas GP was just not on my bingo card. To be fair, concrete and drain covers coming off of the track were also not on my bingo card, and here we are. I guess there's always a first for everything, though. Not so much the lawsuit, but the concrete, I feel like, is more of a first in F1. Right, we've covered all of that, though. Let's have a look at how each of the teams did this weekend. We will start off, of course, with Red Bull Racing. Max was very, very vocal this weekend that he did not like the Las Vegas Grand Prix. He was walking into this and not impressed. He said it was 99% show, 1% racing. He was not happy. But I think that's fair enough. I think Max has been a driver that's been very vocal about not liking the showier aspects of F1. He much prefers just to get in the car and drive than to have to do all of the media and PR and everything, especially with the amount that came with Las Vegas. So it wasn't a surprise. I don't think he's been fully on board with Las Vegas for a little while. So I'm not surprised to hear him say all of that. But The cherry on top of the cake for me, after hearing all of his comments about hating how showy it was, not liking the fact it wasn't about the racing properly, was Red Bull releasing their race day race suits and then being like Elvis costumes? I don't know how Red Bull managed to get Max into that race suit I don't know what they had to offer him I would love to know the conversations that were had when he saw that race suit but yeah they were interesting I would say I mean their livery for this race because they had a fan signed livery really beautiful the race suits I was not so much on board with Sergio Perez's one because his was red Max's was white but Sergio's one looked like he was a part of Ferrari with the red that it was because it was completely red so that was a very interesting choice going on to the on-track action for red bull though this was a harder drive for max and i wouldn't say that it was necessarily difficult for him but i don't think it was as straightforward on the race day i think ferrari had a much stronger car and i don't think red bull were as strong here as what they might have been hoping for But I mean, at the end of the day, he still got the win even after a five second time penalty and the fact that he really did not like Las Vegas. Chaco had a really, really good race, to be fair to him. He's definitely carried on the momentum that he had in Interlagos, brought it over into Las Vegas. He has now sealed P2 in the Drivers' Championship, so it is a historic 1-2 in the Drivers' for Red Bull. They've never had that before. So that's one weight off his shoulders as well, which I'm sure he's very glad about. But yeah, he narrowly missed out on P2 and like the last lap of the race, Charles Leclerc had managed to overtake him for P2. But I think this is still a really, really good result for him, especially after he had to pit on that first lap for a new front wing. Mercedes, I gotta be honest with you, I was expecting horror, like Interlagos levels of horror from Mercedes. I thought, It's a lot of straights on this track and Mercedes straight line speed has not been great. They were very, very draggy out in Brazil, but they seem to have figured out where they went wrong out in Interlagos and their straight line speed was way better than what I was expecting it to be. I thought they were just going to get eaten up on the straights, that people would just be passing them with no issue. Even with the RS, Mercedes wouldn't be able to overtake, but that wasn't the case. So pleasantly surprising. Lewis obviously yeah didn't get into q3 so he started in p10 because of Sainz's penalty had the contact with oscar early on pitted was in p19 and made his way up to p7 after george's penalty was applied so he actually had i think it was a pretty decent race the race pace in the car seemed a lot better than what his quali pace was but i think for mercedes it's trying to find a balance that lewis likes in his quali and his race day car because they change things and they alter things a little bit and they seem to lose the pace on quali and then have it during the race so that is something that i'm hoping the 2024 car does sort out there's a bigger working window for them it's a better all-rounder car but we will have to wait and see on that one George was running really well for quite a while in the race, but obviously that contact with Max ended up putting him on the back foot with that five-second time penalty. Was in P4, finished in P8, but I think, yeah, he would have had some decent points coming home had it not been for that contact. Ferrari, I mean, they had an awful, awful start to this weekend with everything that happened in free practice, but their pace was phenomenal during the race and during quali carlos was right in his press conference when he said this was going to be a track that really really suited their car because it did the ferrari just came to life in both of their drivers hands pull for charlie was obviously a highlight but both drivers had a really really good race i mean carlos had his own setbacks given the fact that he had to pit on the first lap and then work his way back up the field but he did a really good job finished in p6 which was amazing Worked incredibly hard, kept his head down. I know this was a frustrating weekend for him. I know after Quali he said he was still angry about what happened in FP1 and the fact that he got that grid penalty. But he kept his head down, kept disciplined and just got through the field. Drove a really good race. And for Charles Leclerc, I mean, really, really good race from him wasn't able to hold off Max Verstappen in the end but did manage to get past Sergio Perez right at the last minute I know he wanted the win but I think P2 is still a really good result for him and for Ferrari I think the thing is with Ferrari overall I just wish they had a better race day car because both of their drivers are very very strong they're very good drivers but they can't showcase all the talent they have because their race day car just doesn't do what they want it to do exactly and I know it was better here But I think there are just certain things that they could tweak and that they probably will going forward, hopefully, for 2024 to make it a better race car. Regardless, though, I mean, they've managed to get a net 16 points against Mercedes for the Constructors' Championship. It is very close between those two teams now. Looking at the Constructors' standings, they are only four points off of Mercedes for P2 in the Championship. So Abu Dhabi is definitely going to be really, really interesting to see what happens with those two teams and where they qualify and what goes on there. So I'm excited to see what happens. McLaren just had a nightmare of a weekend. I mean, we had both cars in the garage during FP2 to get stuff sorted. We had the shock exit in Q1. The horrible crash Lando Norris Tuck. He has been taken to the hospital for precautionary measures i think they just want to do a couple of more checks on him but i'm really hoping like he will be okay and that he just gets cleared and is able to go back to his hotel room and rest for a couple of days before he needs to fly out to abu dhabi and get ready for that but yeah i'm grateful that he was okay enough to get out of the car and to the medical center but it was an early end for his race. And then, yeah, Oscar Piastri, bit of a compromised race after the racing incident with Lewis. Still managed to have a good race, though. The car did have good pace. He would have been higher up in the points had it not been for that contact and everything. But P10 with the fastest laps, two points is better than nothing. And it's at least it is something against Aston Martin, which, talking of Aston Martin, they had a much better weekend and have closed the gap to McLaren. There are now only 11 points between those two teams. I think there are 21 or 20 ish points between them coming into this race. So the fact you've now had that down to 11, P4 is definitely, definitely still to play for out in Abu Dhabi. But yeah, they had really, really good pace from both of their drivers, even after Fernando Alonso had that incident on the first lap and had to pit. Really strong race to get back into the points. But yeah, the car for them seems to be going in the right direction now, which is. A very good sign. We'll see what development is like over winter for them, though. Moving on to Alpine. I mean, they had a really good points finish from Esteban Ocon, who finished in P4 really great haul of points for him especially after he had a really bad qualifying he qualified in P17 so from P17 to P4 was a really good race from him Pierre Gasly however he had issues with his tires and then he had issues with his battery and it meant that he just fell further and further down the grid and then eventually out of the points so a gutting race for him it was a bit of an up and down weekend for them though I don't know what happened with Alpine. Apparently Esteban Ocon got told to hold position behind Pierre Gasly. He didn't. He overtook Pierre. I can't lie. I had walked out of the room at this point to go in the kitchen for something. So I wasn't entirely sure what happened there. But I also hear that their radios weren't the best anyway. But it was a real tale of ups and downs for Alpine. Bit of a roller coaster ride. At least they have some good points to take home though. So there is some kind of positive coming out of Las Vegas. Williams were a team that had a really high high on qualifying day and then it kind of just fell apart during the race. Was over the moon for Logan Sargent getting into Q3. I was so excited to see him have a really good qualifying session because quality has been a struggle for him and it's an area he said he wanted to focus on. Two Williams in the top 10 was brilliant. It was just it's great seeing the back market teams making these improvements, making that step forward, because you want to see a closer grid, or I want to see at least a closer grid across all 10 teams, not just the top four or top five. You want it to be more unpredictable about who's going to get pole position, who's going to get into Q3, who's going to get into the points. And that happens when we have teams no longer being dubbed a back market team. We don't know where the cars going to be week on week. So it was great to see them in the top 10. But we got to the race and it just wasn't great at all. The pace had kind of gone away from them. Graining became an issue. They couldn't get the tyres in the right window. And I had predicted double Williams points, so I am sorely disappointed about that. Alpha Tauri were another team that just did not have a good race. had a pretty awful one. Weren't able to sort of carry on with the trajectory they had in Brazil and with these new upgrades. Yuki ended up retiring with a suspected gearbox issue. Daniel Ricciardo wasn't in the points either. So yeah, not great for them. Alfa Romeo had a bit of a quiet race, to be fair. No points for them either. I mean, Bottas got spun on that first lap with all of the incidents that were going on. But yeah, after that, we didn't really hear much from either of their drivers. They had a bit of a quiet race. And I'd say the same for Haas as well. They are a team that definitely have very good quality pace. And we've said this pretty much all year. Quality pace is great for them. They come into the race and they just don't have a race car. And we saw that again this weekend nico hell convicted end up retiring towards the end of the race though they haven't said what as far as i can tell from social media right now they're just saying that they had an issue with his car so yeah another quiet race perhaps your driver of the day was Charles Leclerc. i think yeah. i have to agree with you on that one guys i think there were a good couple of drivers that had a good race had made up mass amount of places we had really good action on track this race but at the same time I feel like we didn't always get to see some of the journeys whose drivers went on during the race Esteban Ocon from P17 to P4 Lance Stroll getting all the way up into P5 I mean these weren't necessarily things that we saw a lot of I think some of those places were made up in pit stops and safety cars and everything but Yeah, I think I was looking at the leaderboard and the timing screen at the end and was sort of like, when the heck did this person get all the way up into the points? And maybe it was because I was very, very tired. Regardless, so we saw a lot of Charles Leclerc, a lot of his battling. I think he had a really good race. He sounded so... I mean, he was happy with B2, but you could tell he was disappointed. He wanted the race win. And there were a couple of points in that race where I thought he could do it. But I think Red Bull just... They have the edge over everyone, even when a car like Ferrari is a lot closer. I mean, it was just over two seconds between him and Max, but they just have that little bit of something extra, a little bit more pace against their competitors. And I think in cases like that against Ferrari, that is what they are lacking, it's just that little bit of something extra. But I'm giving my driver of the day to Charles Leclerc, pole position, P2, was battling at the front, can't go wrong. So that was the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Wow. I mean, a lot happening off track, which I think sort of, I wouldn't say it tarred the entire weekend for me exactly, but I don't think you can fully enjoy a race weekend when you know that there are fans who are sorely disappointed by what happened and that there were major safety issues with this track. I hope that the FAA find a way to sort of put things in place now that will stop things like this happening again. I think that's the main thing. We can't really change what has happened as much as we wish they hadn't happened. There's nothing we can do about that now. But I think going forward, I at least hope that there are teachings that they can take into another circuit, into another race that will make sure that these tracks are safe for the drivers. Like I'd mentioned, though, I do think on-track action was better than what i was expecting it is a very quick racetrack i'll give it that it's very very quick when you see the cars go down it not the most exciting though it definitely exceeded my expectations but i wasn't expecting a whole load from las vegas We are back there next year. I think they've got a contract until, I want to say 2025. But I think Vegas have signed off to allow the strip to be used until 2032. But that doesn't necessarily mean that F1 have signed a contract until 2032, as far as I can tell. So it'll be another two years. I am curious whether they'll opt to make any sort of track changes. Maybe, maybe not. I guess we'll wait and see next year and what the FIA think after sort of analyzing all the data and probably having a chat with a couple of people in and around F1 to see what they thought about it. But yes, was the Las Vegas Grand Prix the success Formula One hoped that it would be though? I'm gonna have to say it probably wasn't to the extent that they were hoping. There were ticket prices that were being dropped about a week before this Grand Prix happened, so it definitely wasn't the sad event that they were hoping for if nothing else. And there has been controversy surrounding it. I mean, the most I see about Formula One in general on the news is when, say, Sky News are just doing a sports segment and one of the presenters will be like, oh yeah, we had this GP and Max won. That's the most I'll really hear. But I ended up seeing main Sky News segments on what happened with Carlos Sainz's car and everything. And that's really not the advertising that Formula One all the Las Vegas Grand Prix wanted for this race that is really not what they wanted out in the media so I don't think it was as big of a success as they would have wanted it to be because of those circumstances but yeah it has happened it wasn't as bad as I thought but I don't think it was as great as what Formula One were hoping for over the entire weekend and that I think pretty much covers the entirety of the Las Vegas Grand Prix oh my goodness am I tired now I can't lie, I'm going to finish recording this and probably will go for a nap because I am exhausted and it is now 20 past 10. We have one race left in the Formula 1 calendar for the 2023 season and we are heading back out to good old Abu Dhabi for the season closer. We've nearly been through this entire season of Formula 1. I've nearly podcasted an entire season of Formula One that feels insane like I said I think constructors are still there to play for I think P7 between Williams and AlphaTauri is still there and those changes could be made and also yeah P2 between Mercedes and Ferrari and then P4 between Aston Martin and McLaren so yeah, still a couple of things for us to keep an eye out for in Abu Dhabi. We've got rookie drivers coming in for FP1 again. So that's something else to keep an eye out for. But yeah, we are nearly done with the 2023 F1 season. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. And you're come through. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and TikTok at stewards underscore office where I post a whole host of Formula One content. And I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the steward's office.